I'm glad that you're here. It's going to be a great day. If you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2? As you're finding your way there, let me encourage you tomorrow around noon, not around noon, at noon, uh, I will be one of the MCs for the MLK service down at Beulah Grove Baptist Church. I've never been the MC of anything, and so I'm not really sure how to do that. Uh, so if you want to come and watch me learn uh, on-the-job training tomorrow, I would love to have you there uh, at noon. Uh, if you come, pack a lunch. One of those services years ago was like four hours long. We were going to try to keep it moving along a little better this year, and uh, but I know Congressman Allen and other folks will be there. I would love to have you come if you're able. Be able to grow tomorrow at noon. Uh, July the 22nd. 2011, at the Nashville Super Speedway, Pastor Joe Nelms stepped to the microphone and in his deep southern drawl gave a short, brief, 53-second invocation that has been described by some as epic and others as infamous. And here's what he prayed. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for all your blessings. You said in all things give thanks, so we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the RO7 engines. Thank you for Sonico Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa, and my two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the little E's. Lord, I pray you'll bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen. I'm from Tennessee, and I don't have a clue what he just prayed. Amen? I was worried in one of the services, is he speaking in tongues, and I just don't know it, right? Well, this morning we're talking about prayer. We, we started a new series uh, last Sunday morning here at the beginning of a brand new year that we've entitled Start Your Engines. And so this is a New Year series of studies on spiritual disciplines. I like to refer to these as holy habits. Last week, we learned why we should and what happens when we, lead, when we read and study our Bible, when the Word of God is in our heart and in our mouth. Next week, we're going to see what the Bible says about discovering meaning and purpose in this life by serving God and others. Then on the last Sunday morning of January, we're going to learn about how we can live on mission, what my friend Jason Dukes refers to as living sent. Uh, by being consistent and competent in sharing the gospel with our family, friends, and those that we just encounter daily. But this morning, I want, to look, I want you to look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to see with me this morning how you can develop, here at the beginning of a brand new year, how you can develop a deep, meaningful, personal, powerful prayer life. My pastor, Adrian Rogers, uh, put it this way. He said, prayer is the greatest Christian privilege. We can do more than pray after we've prayed, but we can do no more than pray until we've prayed. And to that I say, amen. So look there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I want you to listen as Paul teaches about how to stay in touch with God through prayer and meditation. And what I mean by meditation uh, is, like we talked about last week, to have your mind so saturated with Scripture that you think God's thoughts after Him. Uh, in other words, that you are so in the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God, 
that when you think, you think Bible. When you pray, you pray Scripture back to God. And a little bit different than in previous years, like last Sunday. Uh, normally, in the past decade, in this sermon, I would have told you how you should pray. In other words, I was going to give you uh, some principles about getting alone with God, having a prayer list, and, and a definite time of the day, and those sorts of things. And, and if you need that, we have tons of those sermons. You can contact the office, and we'll get you uh, the sermons that you need. This year, what I want to do is turn it just a little bit, and I want to focus more on why we should pray and then who we should pray for and then at the very end, I'll get really practical as we talk about interceding on behalf of others. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, if you have found your way there, say, uh-huh. This, listen to what Paul said. Paul says, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. Say one God. One God. For there is one God and one mediator. Say mediator. mediator. One mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What Paul is saying here in 1 Timothy chapter 2 is that the priority ministry that Christ has given to us individually as Christians and corporately as a church is the ministry of prayer. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 13, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And uh, I, I've always said that, that that verse is something of a surprise to a lot of pastors and preachers and, and church members because we would have thought that he would have said and even preferred that he would have said something like this, my father's house shall be called a house of of preaching, or my father's house shall be called a house of singing, or my father's house shall be called a house of teaching. But Jesus said, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. D.L. Moody, great evangelist, pastor, founder of the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, Illinois. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Prayer is what God expects to be the priority of your life, my life, our life. Our lives and this church, we are to be a house of prayer. Now, if you still have your Bible open with you this morning, I want you to look at that, that first verse. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, therefore, I exhort. First of all, and then he goes on to list several different kinds of prayers. He, he talks, first of all, about supplications. And supplications, that, that means it's an urgent prayer to meet a need. And then he mentions prayers. That word literally means a petition addressed to deity. And it carries with it the idea of communion. And then he mentions intercessions. That's praying to God on behalf of others. And then lastly, he mentions giving thanks. And that just means exactly what it says, thanking God. And then he says, be made for all men. In other words, the priority ministry that Jesus has given to us as Christians and us as a church is that of praying for others. And so there's a reason 
that praying for others is to be our priority ministry. And the reason for that is because that's exactly what Jesus Christ is doing today. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7.25, Therefore he, Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In other words, Jesus Christ, right this very moment, is interceding for us. He came to take our place. He died in our place. And he is still interceding for us there before the throne of God. And Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And so if Jesus Christ is interceding for us, praying for us, he's saying that we also are to be interceding and praying for others. Prayer is to be the priority of our life. And so here's what I want to do real quickly. Is I want to just work our way down through these, what, eight verses? And I want you to see with me this morning just three little main things. And I want you to put these down somewhere. You can write on there in the margin of your Bible. Guys, you can pull out your pen, your pencil, your eyeliner, your lipstick, mascara. Uh, I want you to write somewhere down there in the margin of your Bible. If you don't have somewhere to write, uh, you can just do like the lady does out at, uh, Paige does out at West and just use your phone, pull up the notes app and uh, take some notes here this morning. My pastor Adrian Rogers always said that the weakest ink is better than the best memory. And so I want you to write these down somewhere so you'll have them. Here's the very first thing that I want you to write down this morning, and that is the priority of prayer. We've already talked about this just a minute, but the priority of prayer. Paul says in verse 1, he said, I exhort, first of all, that prayers be made for all men. So here's a question today. What is sin? Sin is disobedience to God. And back in the Old Testament, Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And then in the New Testament, Paul said in Ephesians 6, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And then he adds in Colossians 4, Continuing earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open a, to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. And so here's the question. What's he saying? He's saying, pray for me. Pray for us. And so all throughout the word of God, Old Testament, New Testament alike, God is saying that we are to be actively, consistently, fervently praying for others. But here's what I want you to notice this morning. Notice in verse 1. Paul says, therefore I exhort first to ball. In other words, when we come to church, not just in the order or the flow of the service, Paul's not saying that the very first thing on the bulletin, if you have a bulletin, or in planning center, is that you're supposed to make sure that you have an opening prayer. You know, I, I think it grieves the heart of God that so many times the only way that we use prayer is as a tool to mark the beginning or the end of our services and meetings. We have a committee meeting and we'll say, hey, who would like to open us in prayer? And, and at the end, hey, who would like to close in prayer? Now, I'm not against prayer, but, but I'm afraid that so many times we use prayer as kind of like a gun starting a race. He's not talking about positionally at the first part of the meeting praying at the end pray. No, what he's talking here about is prominence. That's what the word means. First, foremost, most important, most prominent. The priority above anything and everything else is this, to pray. So let me ask you a question this morning. Is prayer the priority of your life? As a church, in what we do, is prayer the priority 
of our ministry is at first. That's what he's saying. First of all, pray. Now, there are a lot of other things that we can do. And by the way, we're Abilene. We do a lot of amazing things. But I need you to know this morning that unless it is based on prayer, built on prayer, bathed in prayer, it is sitting on a crumbling foundation. What place then does prayer have in your life? Is it first? Is it second? Is it third? Is it even anywhere on your list of priorities? If you were to make a list of not what you did today because it's still Sunday morning and, and, and you've been in church, uh, but if you were to make a list of what you did yesterday, if you were to just kind of write down what you did yesterday, where would, where would prayer be? Would prayer be a priority? Would it be kind of an afterthought? Would it even be a part of your day? Where would prayer be? Paul says, first of all, as the priority of your life, pray. Prayer is to be the priority of your life. Second thing that I want you to see this morning out of this passage is this, and that is the privilege of prayer. Because if prayer is to be the priority of our life, then we have also been then given a privilege to pray. Who have we been given a privilege to pray for? Well, look what he says in verse 1. He says down there, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks, watch this, be made for all men. So many times when we pray, we pray something like this. God bless everybody. Bless the missionaries, be the pastors, be the teachers, uh, bless, bless everybody. And we're so vague and, and broad and general in our prayers that we wouldn't know whether or not the prayers were answered or not. That's why Paul here in this passage, Paul gives us a list of people to make sure that you, when you pray, pray for at least these. And I'm going to list them for you here this morning, and, and I'm going to give you a couple others that might come from other places in Scripture. But if you're taking notes, jot down this first thing. Number one, Paul says that we are to pray for public officials. We're to pray for public officials. I told the senator out at West, I said, you're going to owe me an extra tithe for what I'm about to say in the next few minutes, right? But we're to pray for our public officials. Look what he says in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. I've got a confession to make, all right? A confession. They say confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation, but it's good for the soul, right? But I've got a confession that I need to make this morning, and you, you, by the way, you probably do too. But as I was reading this passage this week, one of the things that struck me is that I haven't prayed for our public officials and elected leaders like I should have. Most of us are really good at criticizing those in office. We're really good at criticizing those who are in authority, but we're not that good at praying for them. You say, well, I don't like them. I might not either. That ain't what Paul said. Well, I didn't vote for them. I might not eat either. That's all. Paul didn't say, if you like them, pray for them. If you voted for them. He, he just said, pray for all of those who are in authority. You know, I think that if we spent more time praying for them, we would probably get to spend less time criticizing them. Just a thought. So the question is, why should we pray for them? Well, look what he says in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. Now, we would probably say for the president, for the senators, pray for your, your representatives, pray for the mayor, pray for the city council. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Why do we pray for them? So that they might establish an atmosphere, a society that would enable us to live a quiet, peaceable, godly, and honest life. We don't have that kind of atmosphere or society to do it today. 
right? When I was growing up, we never locked our door to the house. We never locked our house door. We left the keys in our ignition every night. We, we left the house, walked all over God's creation. My parents didn't know where we were. They never worried about us getting grabbed or taken. You know, there's some places in North America where you will drive through and not see any children because you don't let the children play outside of, outside of buildings because somebody will come out and grab them. There was a day in America where you would take your family and walk down the street and hang out in the street and, and walk down. And, and You don't see that happening much anymore. Too dangerous. Got a buddy of mine, granddaughter's crossing the street in California, gets caught in a crossfire, hit in the back. She won't walk again. We don't live in the kind of society that Paul, Paul's talking about. So why do we need to pray for our leaders? So that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We don't have that kind of society today. And the reason why, I believe, is because God's people, the church, have not prayed for those in authority the way that God's told us to pray for them. Second Chronicles 7, 14, we love to quote it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Why has our land not been healed? Because God's people have not humbled themselves. We've not sought God's face. We've not prayed. We've not turned from our wicked ways. So whose fault is it that we have ungodly leaders today? Our fault. Our fault. Think about this. It's a good, are y'all still out there this morning? Well, you're saying, just get to the missionaries, preacher. Get to the missionaries. I think it's a really good possibility that the reason why we have some of these idiotic, insane, crazy, ungodly, wicked, and harmful laws that have been passed in our nation the last few years is because we've not prayed the way we should have prayed. Right? All right? And so you say, well, what does that matter, Pastor? I mean, Pastor, this isn't heaven. We, we, we don't live in Mayberry. I've got a friend of me who actually wrote a book, and he says, we don't live in Mayberry anymore. We live in Babylon. You know why we live in Babylon, if that's true? It's because we hadn't prayed the way we're supposed to. We've not prayed for those in office. We've not prayed that they would have wisdom, that they would enact godly laws so that we can have a peaceable life. And by the way, while I'm still in the neighborhood, why does this matter? Why is it so important that we pray for our leaders so that we can have a quiet, peaceable, godly, and reverent life? Well, look down at verses 3 and 4. I've never seen this before. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you notice that? When we pray for our leaders and God gives them wisdom, and they begin to pass godly laws that create the kind of society that Paul mentions here, there's going to be an atmosphere, a society, where we'll have even more freedom to share the good news of the gospel and more folks will be able to be saved. You say, well, I just don't believe that. Well, you have every right to be wrong. You realize there are places in Europe, post-Christian Europe, where if you stand on the sidewalk outside of an abortion clinic, not with a sign, not with a bullhorn, if you stand there like this with your eyes closed and you pray on the sidewalk in front, you will be arrested and taken to jail. Why? Because we've not prayed. Those Christians have not prayed 
for godly leaders to enact godly laws so that they can then have a quiet, peaceful, holy, godly, reverent life. We're to pray for our public officials. Next, it ain't much better for you. Servants of God. Look in verse 7. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Mark this verse out in the margin of your Bible. A lot of times people will ask, hey, Pastor, how can I pray for you? Well, right here it is, Ephesians 6, 18 to 19. Just jot it down in the margin of your Bible. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pastor, how do you want us to pray for you? How, how should we pray for the staff? It's right there in that verse. Pray that God would give us the knowledge to know what we should say, the boldness to say it clearly, and the ability to make it understandable to everybody who hears it. That's what I would have you pray for us. Because God did not call us to be editors. God called us to be delivery boys, right? Not my job to come up and make up what God says. My job is just simply to say, here's what God said. Paul said this in 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your staff. Pray that God would protect us from unreasonable, wicked, evil people who are under the power of the devil. That's what Paul says. That God would put a hedge of protection around the pastor and staff that he would protect us from the attacks of the enemy. That's what I would have you pray for us. Pray for public officials. Pray for servants of God. And you're going to be happy finally to get off of that. Number C, other Christians. Pray for other Christians. Look what he says in verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. A better way of understanding what Paul says there is something like this. That they would be saved and then come to appreciate the full knowledge of the truth. In other words, we're to pray that those who are saved would come to appreciate all that God wants them to be. You know, as I look around the room this morning, and I get it's a three-day weekend. There are faces I'm missing. There are faces of people who were here a couple of weeks ago, a month or two ago, a year ago. They're not here anymore. And I've asked myself, where are they? You say, well, pastor, some of them moved. I get it. We live in a military community. They PCS all the time. One year in eight months, we lost 80. Remember that? 80 in eight months got moved out. So I get it. Sometimes they move away. Sometimes they join other churches. Uh, they, they might go off to school. I, I, that's what I'm talking about. What, what, I, what I'm asking here this morning is where are those others? And, and I, I wonder, is it because they never came into the knowledge of the full appreciation of all that God did in their life when he saved them? And I'll ask you what I asked myself this past week. When we saw that they weren't here, what did we do for them? Did we criticize them? Did you see what they posted on social media? I'm glad I ain't got to sit next to that one no more. 
or did we pray for them? When we saw that they were struggling and starting to fall away, did we pray for them? We got excited over them when they got saved. When they got saved and baptized, we're cheering. Yay, you got saved. We're so excited for you. But then they miss a Sunday or two Sundays, maybe even a month. And then when they talk about what they posted on social media, did we pray for them? So many times the church is like a mother who brings her baby home from the hospital, puts it in the crib, pulls up the side and says, well, I've given you birth. You're on your own. Hope you make it. And then when they don't make it, we say, I knew they weren't sincere. Right? What do you do when you begin to see somebody fall away? What do you do when you begin to see Christians posting things that they shouldn't post on social media and going places they shouldn't go and doing things that they shouldn't do? The Bible says that we're supposed to pray for them that they would come into a full appreciation of all that God wants in their life. You're to pray for public officials. You're to pray for servants of God. You're to pray for, for others to be saved. You're to pray for sick, for the sick to be healed. Look, this isn't in the passage. It's James 5, 16. But he says, confess your trespasses to one another and, be, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I've got some buddies of mine that don't believe this. And they have every right to be wrong. But I need you to understand this morning that I believe that that verse right there means that we're supposed to pray for sick folks to be healed. Amen. Right? Amen. I had somebody asked me a week or so ago, they asked, they said, Pastor, do you believe that it's always God's will to heal? No. It is not always God's will to heal. If it were always God's will to, for, to heal, nobody would ever die. And we got, I don't know if you knew this, but you've got to die to get to heaven, right? Barring the rapture, you've got to die to get there, right? So it's not always God's will to heal. But I do believe that there is a lot of sickness in the lives of Christians that would not be there if we prayed for them the way that God says we're supposed to pray for them. I believe what James said in that previous verse, that when we do what God told us to do in his word, that the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. That's why we pray for the sick on Wednesday nights. That's why we pray for the sick in our Sunday school classes. That's why we'll have concerted times of prayer and we'll go to people's houses and, and we'll pray over them. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all were sick one time? God healed you and you're convinced it's because somebody prayed for you. Can I see your hands? I've seen God do it. Suddenly, miraculously healed. Not all the time. Not as a rule, but I've seen God do it. My last church, Dean Lane. I told it before. It's just one of the most notable. You, you had Tom too, but Dean Lane, young guy, colon cancer. Di Dad died of colon cancer. Gets colon cancer. Has a mass in his colon the size of a grapefruit. We went and prayed over him. Prayed for him. Prayed for him at the hospital that morning. Left for. He's going to have surgery to cut it out. A little while later, I'm at the office there at Temple Baptist Church in Simpsonville, South Carolina. I, get the, I pick up the phone, and it's Lisa on the other end, and she's screaming. And my first thought was, he died on the table. And then I heard her screaming this, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. They had gone in to make sure where it was, done another scan, and they went in there, gone. How, how do you explain this big, gone? How do you explain that? God, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We're to pray for the sick to be healed. And then E, the lost to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 through 6. 
who desires all, I got some buddies who have a problem with this verse, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one mediator, one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Paul says that it is God's will for all people to be saved. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, Paul clearly says God wants all people to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You ever, are y'all still there this morning? In your prayer life, you ever prayed and wondered if you were praying in God's will? Right? This is one prayer that you can pray and never have to question or worry whether or not you're praying in God's will. You can always pray for people to be saved and know that you're in God's will. So let me ask you a question. How many lost people have you prayed for or are you praying for to be saved? There's the priority of prayer the privilege of prayer, and then lastly, there's some principles of prayer. So get ready to close. I'm, not, I'm just going to list them for you, but there are six principles that I want you to write down. They're not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to pay attention and write them down. But as you pray for others, number one, pray for others from a heart of love. Awful hard to pray for people the way you should if you hate their guts. <laughs> you say, that's why I don't pray for them. <laughs> You're to pray for others from a heart of love. And by the way, if there's somebody you really don't like, like the preacher, if you'll pray for me, you'll, you'll begin to like me. It just works that way. I know because I've done it with some of y'all. But anyway, number one, <laughs> pray for others. <laughs> I got to love you. I ain't got to like you. Number two, I'm just playing. Some of y'all are going, I know who he's talking about. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't go here no more. Number two, <laughs> recognize that your prayer is the link between their need and God's supply. Your prayer is the link between their need and God's supply. God has everything we need, and we don't have it because we don't ask for it. Number three, identify with their needs. And there are two or three ways you can think about this. One, put yourself in their place and feel how they feel. Number two, got to know what their needs are. You ought to have a list where you write down people's needs. You, know, you can put it in a notebook, mine on cards on a, on a, on a, on a little ring. You ought to have a place where you collect. When people pray, I have a need, will you pray for me? You ought to write them down, pray for them. Number three, num number next. Desire God's best for them. You know, some of the, one of the reasons why people don't pray for others is because they don't like them, again. And if you prayed what you really wanted to pray for them, you'd be praying for lightning bolts from heaven, right? Get them, God. You'd be praying in precatory prayers like David in the Psalms. God, take their babies and dash their heads against the rocks. That's not the way you're supposed to pray. When you pray, you're supposed to pray with their best in your heart and mind. You want what's best for them. 
And then be willing to be part of the answer. Be willing to be part of the answer. Again, the reason why some people don't pray for others is because they're afraid that God's going to use them to meet the need. They don't really want to do that. They don't want to be bothered. But be willing to be part of the answer. And then lastly, be willing to persevere in prayer. To pray without ceasing. To pray consistently, continually. I pray that in 2024 that you will make prayer the priority of your life. And that you will understand and count it a privilege to pray for others. At the very least, the ones we mentioned here this morning, and then for others as God brings them, and then as you follow those principles of prayer, that you will be consistent and fervent and compassionate in praying for others. That you will have soaked your mind in the Word of God that as you think you think Bible, as you pray, you pray Scripture back to God on behalf of others. Because just as Jesus is in heaven right now interceding for us, we've been left here with the mission to intercede for others.